When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of SFF Yeah is brought to you by Beasts of Prey by Ayana Gray from Penguin Teen. This highly anticipated YA trilogy combines monsters, mythos, and black girl magic as two black teenagers strike a dangerous alliance to hunt down the creature menacing their home and uncover ancient deadly secrets. Kofi and Ikon form a tentative alliance and together enter the greater jungle, a world steeped in wild, frightening magic and untold dangers. The hunt begins, but it quickly becomes unclear whether they are the hunters or the hunted. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 114, and we are recording on the first day of October. Very exciting. Yay! Yay! I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, we are talking about our favorite reads that were released in the last quarter, so July through September. And excitingly, we're announcing our book club pick. Yes, I am so happy that it's October, Sharifa. <laughs> I know, me too. I was having like a bit of a gloomy moment because I was sad summer was going away. Mm. But yesterday I was walking outside early in the morning and I had that very specific sensation of like crisp autumn air. Yes. And I was like, okay, I like this now. <laughs> <laughs> I Fall is always and forever my favorite season. And partly thanks to you, not only did I make my first pumpkin loaf of Yay! fall yesterday, <laughs> but also we had our first fire pit of the season. Oh, and it was so nice. So nice. That is lovely. I'm actually going camping this weekend, yes. and I was very excited to see that we can now have uh, campfires again. Yes. They were banned for a while in the yes. summer. Yes, only when it's yeah. safe, y'all. Only when it's yes. safe. Very important. We love our forests. Yes. Okay, well, let's talk about our book club pick, which is also very exciting. It is. It is. Yay! Uh, so we are going to be reading Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueko, and I have been waiting to read this book. Uh, it's been on my list for a long time. One of my best friends read it and was raving about it, so I'm very excited uh, to get into it. And we talked about it when we were discussing our options for the book club, but just as a reminder, this is a West African-inspired fantasy story about... Uh, the protagonist, Teresai, who leaves her family to enter the capital of a global empire, competing with other children to be the chosen one as one of the crown prince's council of 11. So I love a good, like, world-buildy fantasy book, mm. and I'm very excited to get into this. How about you? Yes, also very excited. I love a chosen one competition. Yes. <laughs> and, and there's some news that we'll talk about later that makes this yeah. extra exciting. Yeah, so book club episode in which we will discuss the book airs on November 3rd. So you have about a month to read it. And we would love if while you're reading along, you sent in thoughts, questions, whatever, to yeah. sffyat at bookriot.com. And we'll shout those out in the discussion episode. We certainly will. So uh, before we talk about our news, we've got an announcement. Uh, did you want to talk about our merch? Yeah, yeah. So the other exciting thing that happens in October for Book Riot is that it's our anniversary. And this year is our 10th anniversary, which is wild. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe Book Riot is 10? That is 
I, I can't, but <laughs> it's there in front of me. So we are, to celebrate, we're running a limited edition merch line, which has hoodies and sweatshirts and totes and more, all in our signature lo- logo colors with Book Riot branding. The yellow, can I just say? Yeah, so cheerful and happy. I'm into that yellow. I love it, too. Yeah. So this is only going to be available through October. You can go to bookriot.com slash merch to check it out. I already bought my sweater. So. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why. I can't decide which logo version I want. It's so silly. It's just like black <laughs> on yellow or white it's on important. yellow. But it is important. So I'm still mauling my choices. But <laughs> I, have to, I have to go soon because this is limited time. All right. So let's do another sponsor and then we'll get into our news. Our next sponsor is Oni Press and Orcs in Space Volume 1. Get ready to halorp. Gore, Kravis, and Mongtar are just three orcs trying to survive while on the run from everything and everyone on their homeworld. When the naive bureaucrats from Starbleep land on the planet Muckball, the orcs unwittingly steal the most advanced ship in the fleet and blast into the dankest reaches of the outer Galactagon. After befriending the ship's AI, Dona, D-O-N-A, the gang must evade everything from pacifier-sucking bounty hunters to raucous nightclubs to steampunk space rats. The cosmos will never be the same thanks to orcs in space. I don't know if Halorp is a reference that I just don't know or if it is made up, but either way, I'm very entertained by all of (laughs) The above. This was co-created by Justin Roiland, who is also the co-creator of Rick and Morty, which you have probably heard of, along with Abed Gith, who is a comedy writer for TV, and his brother Rashad Gith, which is, uh, this is his writing debut with the series. And yeah, the series is taking on the stereotypes about the orc race and turning them on their head. And this is for fans of Star Trek and Three Stooges and absurdist sci-fi and fantasy. So, again, Orcs in Space, Volume 1, on sale now from Oni Press. I am going to have to check that out. (laughs) I admit, I also do not know what that word means and what a lot of those words meant, but that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm going to kick us off with some news, and I've got some awards news. So Andrew Liptak uh, reported on Tor.com the winners of the 2021 British Fantasy Award, which is an award that honestly reminds me that there are so many more books out there in science fiction and fantasy that are not seen often in my feeds Mm. or that I don't hear about all over the place um, because it takes books from all over the world, basically. So books from anywhere are eligible to win these awards um, that are decided upon by the British Fantasy Society and a selection of jurors. Um, So there are a bunch of books in here that I am not familiar with, but I was happy to see some familiar author names as well. So there are all sorts of categories. There's Best Newcomer, and the winner of the Best Newcomer category was Kathleen Jennings for Fly Away, which is a book I have not read, Uh, but that was from – it was a book from Tor.com. And there's also Best Film and Television Production, and the list included The Haunting of Bly Manor, which was familiar to me, but the winner was The Boys, What I Know, and Nonfiction and Artists. There are just a bunch of great categories here, and I have to dip into a lot of these titles and familiarize myself with them because I do not like knowing that I am (laughs) unfamiliar with so many titles. (laughs) But I did see P. Jelly Clark in here, which Mm -hmm. was really exciting. Um, That was for Ring Shout under Best Novella. And honestly, Best Not like the novella category in general has started to become my favorite category of all awards. Mm. Uh, just because that seems to be all I read lately. <laughs> I don't know why that is. 
Were there any standouts for you on this list? So I got excited because the winner for best anthology, which, as we all know, I love an anthology, is one I have not heard of. It's called Dominion, an anthology of speculative fiction from Africa and the African diaspora, edited Mm -hmm. by Zeldin Knight and Ogunetchowe Donald Ekpeki. And I definitely am going to need to check that out. Also, the best short fiction title is called Infinite Tea in the Damara Cafe. So yes. I like that. Obviously, <laughs> I have to read that. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I need yeah, a sci fi so- fantasy story about tea. That I need that thing. I. I mean, I'm going to have some things to say about tea later on, but I agree. (laughs) And I love that this comes from a collection called Tales of Future London. That sounds Mm. also very delightful and cozy, although I'm sure not all of the stories are. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I... I thought that that was a, a good one, too. And Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, yes. which is one of my favorites, also went uh, Best Horror Novel, another of my favorite categories, and very timely for this time of year. Yes. Um, I'm going to be reading a lot of horror, but you should definitely check out this full list. Uh, I'm going to be going through it and familiarizing myself with some books and some shows, so... Uh, congratulations to all the winners of the 2021 British Fantasy Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a bunch of adaptation news to talk about. Yes. Let's start with the fact that our book club pick, Ray Bear, is getting an adaptation Yay! on Netflix. Hooray! So Gina Atwater. Oh, this is uh, on Variety. Reported by Monica Marie Zarilla. And also it was, uh, we originally got the news from Jordan Ifueco's Twitter feed. So, yeah. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so Gina Atwater, who has worked on Westworld and Star Wars The Force Awakens, among other things, has herself had an, a multi-year overall deal with Netflix happen. And this is the first project that they're doing together. So, like, I feel like that's cool on multiple levels. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I'm always excited to see Netflix mentioned or any streaming service because now we're seeing a lot more movies like there are varieties of ways movies are released Mm -hmm. um, between theatrical releases and then a very early streaming release. But I am really impatient. (laughs) So I just want it to come straight to streaming. And especially because I'm very excited to watch this. Uh, adaptation from Gina Atwater. I I just want it right away. I know it's in <laughs> development right now, so it's not like I'm going to get it anytime super soon. But Gina Atwater sounds like a great choice um, mm. because of her work on Westworld. And I started to watch that series, but it got a little too dark for me, <laughs> to be honest. So I, I stopped, but it was really well done. And also work on Star Wars, The Force Awakens. So I'm really excited to see where Gina Atwater takes this. I'm really excited to read the book Mm -hmm. and kind of in my own mind, cinematize it and see where the differences are when we actually get this uh, from Netflix. But yeah, it's going to be a while before it comes out. Yeah, I will also say I think it's interesting that they're doing it as a TV adaptation rather than a movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I'm hoping it's like a sort of shadow and bone situation where, you know, maybe it's like a limited series, but instead of just trying to cram everything into two hours and shortchange characters and plot lines, like the property gets more room to breathe. And I'm super a fan of that model for for especially for sci-fi fantasy properties. Like I know they're expensive to make, but there's so much in there. Like just do it as a as a limited series. <laughs> Don't try to cram yeah. it all into two hours. So Yeah, I love a limited series, um, and I did really like Shadow and Bone, so that format really works for me. And because this is um, an actual series, uh, Ray Bearer, I hope that they just stick to whatever comes out from this series and don't try to milk it like sometimes happens. So limited series. You mean like Game of Thrones, maybe? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm not trying to name any names, but you know, come on. It's an interesting point because obviously only the first book in this series is just barely out, right? Like the first book just came out. But the way TV moves, by the time that they get anywhere near to actually making the first season happen, hopefully at least one more book will exist in this series. And that's an interesting question, too, because I know some writers know from the jump where everything's going to end up, but others do not. And I don't yeah. know what kind of writer Fuego is. So there's all kinds of interest. Now my brain is like doing 16 things. About I know. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but still very exciting news. And I'm really happy for Jordan Fuego. That must be an amazing mm. moment to just have your your book immediately picked up because yeah. this is not an this is a fairly new release so congratulations okay well i have another adaptation but this is actually an older bit of news but i wasn't able to get to it earlier and i really wanted to talk about it so um there was an announcement again this is from variety and one second, because I closed my tab in my excitement. <laughs> this was reported on by Joe Otterson announcing some, a casting update for the Victor Laval adaptation of The Changeling. So we learned that Lakeith Stanfield is going to star in the series adaptation, which is super exciting. This is actually an interesting one in that it is um, a series adaptation instead of a film, because I think I would have thought if I had heard about the changeling being adapted, my mind would have immediately gone to film like Mm -hmm. a feature film. So I'm first of all, really curious about how they're going to like, whether this is going to be again, a limited series, like just one season because it's it's one book, it's not a series. But I was really excited about the casting news. Lakeith Stanfield is such an amazing actor. I believe it's mentioned here too that he recently won um, an Academy Award for oh he had an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Judas and the Black Messiah, which I heard great things about. I haven't watched it myself yet, but I'm really. I really do want to watch that um, movie. And so Lakeith Stanfield is going to be in The Changeling, and I can 100% see him in the role. And I'm also truly terrified, and I'm not sure I will be able to handle watching it because, again, (laughs) super dark. (laughs) Super dark. And seeing some of the scenes in my own mind was bad enough so watching it on the screen is gonna be like next level but in the book it's described as the changeling is described as a fairy tale for grown-ups and i'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) kind of like it's like this dark fairy tale yeah those early grimm's fairy tales where people are like losing limbs and everything is really dark yeah like not the disney kind the earlier kind Well, I agree. I think this is an amazing casting choice. When I saw who it was, I was like, yep, that's right. That is correct. Yes. He's perfect. And I'm really excited to see what they do with it. It's true. I I know I just said, like, give it room to breathe. But that book (laughs) does feel like a movie. Like, that could be a movie. It's a a standalone. Although... You know, the thing that I then started thinking about is that Lavelle has written a couple of novels and novellas that take place in the supernatural underbelly of New York City, Queens, etc. And I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any way they'll pull in material from some of those other books. Now, they would have to have the rights Mm -hmm. to them, which I don't think I've seen announcements for that I can recall off the top of my head, so I don't know. But like... My dream now is that we get a whole Laval underbelly of New York supernatural horror series because there's enough material there to absolutely do a bunch of stuff. I love that idea. That would not have crossed my mind, but I think that that is, if they aren't doing that, I feel like they should. Right, right. <laughs> Dear Hollywood, we have a request. 
We have a request. And Laval is a, a co one of the executive producers on it. So maybe he can be like, Hey, you know you know what would be kinda cool? Like, yes. Just, like stitch in some of these other tales. I'm just saying I got, buy them. <laughs> I got some other characters for you. <laughs> just pay me and run with it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh okay, well, so one more piece of adaptation news. Which is, I, I confess that I have not watched this, but Tor.com has a review of The Watch by Elizabeth Heritage, which we talked about, we talked about this adaptation being made more than once. Like, I remember yeah. we talked about some of the casting news and we talked about some of the first scenes, you know, like they, they mm-hmm. released a teaser and some shots from on set. And then I literally forgot that it was happening. Like it just disappeared from my brain. I did not remember that this was a thing until I saw this review. And I was like, oh, right. That was a thing that was happening that then I forgot about. Yeah. And I have not watched this adaptation yet. So the watch is uh, BBC Studios adaptation of uh, Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels and apparently it's not great there are spoilers (laughs) if you're not interested in that uh i will just sum up for you that apparently they made some choices about character development and plot that a lot of fans are not super into and that heritage is like yeah that wasn't great there are uh some good highlighted moments but on the whole it apparently has not gone well. I don't know. Sharifa, were you going to watch this? I was. I also completely forgot that this was... I think that because we talk about things so early yeah. in, like, it, it's... I sort of forget by the time <laughs> they actually happen right, and never right. get to watch it. And I haven't heard anybody talk... This is the first time I've heard somebody um, discuss it. I was sad to read that it was not a great adaptation I did enjoy some of the highlights of Mm -hmm. what did work especially in regards to representation there were some moments where the representation did not go so well and the way characters were realized from book to screen kind of missed the point It does sound like it's a bit of a hot mess, which, I mean, to be fair, like, and this is noted in the article that Terry Pratchett's stories are notoriously difficult to to adapt. Mm -hmm. It is very, the stories are all very, like, all over the place in a really fun kind of madcap bonkers way. And I can see where, you know, one wrong turn will make a complete mess out Mm of an adaptation because there are often a lot of storylines to follow, 10,000 characters you've got to keep in mind with all different storylines that converge and sometimes don't. Uh, So I can see how this could have been a difficulty. And I, in the back of my mind, when we were talking about this early on, I always had it in mind that this might be a mess in the end. I have not read the books um, that The Watch is adapted from. So I I don't know exactly how they are, but I know Terry Pratchett's storytelling style and the sort of sense of humor. And so I'm sorry it did not work out. <laughs> I wish it had. I would love to see any Terry Pratchett adaptation done really well in today's with today's technology, uh, but apparently not today. Yeah, yeah, womp womp. Sad stories. I might still watch like an episode or two. Yeah, I mean, I'd be I'll, curious. Uh, yeah, but I forgot that you haven't. I like in my head, you've read all of the Discworld books, but that's not true. You've read the Tiffany Aching ones. I've read the Tiffany Aching ones, uh, and I've read some, like, small gods I've Mm. read. So there are, like, I've read some other ones here and there, um, but I have not read The Watch. I did want to, but it's a dream. Yeah. (laughs) It's a distant dream. (laughs) Well, there's so much reading, as always, that we have to do. 
Yeah. One day. Maybe when I retire, I'll read all of the Discworld books. <laughs> That's a good retirement project. <laughs> well, before we start talking about our favorite reads of the last quarter, I'm going to talk about our sponsor, which is Flatiron Books, publisher of Once Upon a Broken Heart by Stephanie Garber. From the number one New York Times bestselling author of Caraval, the first book in a new series about love, curses, and the lengths that people will go to for happily ever after. For as long as she can remember, Evangeline Fox has believed in true love and happy endings, until she learns that the love of her life will marry another. Desperate to stop the wedding and to heal her wounded heart, Evangeline strikes a deal with a charismatic but wicked Prince of Hearts. In exchange for his help, he asked for three kisses, to be given at the time and place of his choosing. But after Evangeline's first promised kiss, she learns that bargaining with an immortal is a dangerous game and that the Prince of Hearts wants far more from her than she'd pledged. He has plans for Evangeline, plans that will either end in the greatest happily ever after or the most exquisite tragedy. Cassandra Clare described this as a sugar-crusted, poison-spiked romp through a vibrant world of fairy tale intrigue, tangled romance, and forbidden magic. And I know many of you will recognize Stephanie Garber's name from Caraval, which was super buzzy and popular mm-hmm. when it came out. And so if you're looking for your next fantasy read, check out once Upon a Broken Heart, again, by Stephanie Garber from Flatiron Books. All right. Let's talk about some favorites. I'm very excited to hear about yours. Yes, I am very excited to talk about that. <laughs> uh, my first is one that I believe we talked about in our most anticipated shows. Mm-hmm. It is my fantasy pick. It's The Inheritance of Orchidea Divina by Zoraida Cordova. And this book was everything I wanted it to be. Also extremely appropriate for the current season because they are pitching it sort of for fans of Alice Hoffman. It's got that magical family, generational secrets, you know, next generation has to figure out how to deal with the issues of the past coming back to haunt everyone And it is so atmospheric and so delightful. And I love all the characters. We get a bunch of different narrators. It's, uh, okay, so like, let me actually tell you what it's about. (laughs) So (laughs) this is about the Montoyas, who are a family that are used to things being like a little bit weird. Like they, the pantry, you know, never runs out. There's this rooster who's like been alive for way longer than a rooster should ever be alive. Mm-hmm. And the matriarch of the family will never leave her home in Four Rivers, like ever. Like she just lives on this small patch of land in this house. That P.S. appeared overnight when it happened. And she's just never, ever going to leave. And she's very old. And the grandkids, who are mostly who we're following, are starting to, they get these invitations in the mail that are like, come home for my funeral and collect your inheritance. And you're like, okay, like, she's predicting her own death. And she wants to give us something like, all right, here we go. So they go home and it is not like one big happy family. There's, I mean, it was so, can I just say how relatable it was? Like the <laughs> the family dynamics on display in this big multi-generational family are extremely hashtag relatable. And so everybody's fighting. And the meanwhile, Orchidea is turning into a tree. And you're like, what is oh, going boy. on? <laughs> what is happening? And... Then the book jumps back and forwards in time. So you get Orchidea's story of how she got there in the first place, which involves a circus and a very toxic relationship with the circus ringleader. Also, this is where I give a content warning for child abuse. She had a very difficult childhood, which is why she literally ran away to join the circus. And... You you see how she got to this point. And then seven years in the future from the day of her uh, 
invitation for everybody to come and collect their inheritance. You see what is happening with the grandkids, and uh, they are on the run from a mysterious figure who is hunting them. So lots of action, lots of interesting travels around the world. They have to go back to Ecuador to unearth some of the family secrets because that's where Orchidia is from. There's just so much going on in this. I love the like extremely sort of matter of fact way that magic works in here. Like it's not really (laughs) explained that much. It just kind of happens and you're like, cool, onward. Like you don't need a whole explanation for why she's turning into a tree. It's just something that's happening. And now we're moving on. And I love the different places and time periods that the book visits. And I love the characters. Oh, my goodness. This book also, like, stomped all over my heart several times. People are going to die in this book. Just FYI, people are going to die, and you're going to be sad about it. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you're, like, feeling tender... Just know that going in. But I, I I just love everything about this. I think this is my favorite book from Cordova, which is saying something because I have been really enjoying all of her books. This is also, interestingly, her first book that is marketed for adults, I believe. The other ones have been YA. So mm-hmm. that's also interesting to see. And yeah, everything about this book is great, Like, is the end of my story. So <laughs> again, that is The Inheritance of Orchidia Divina by Zoraida Cordova. You had me at for fans of Alice Hoffman. Yeah. I know you, Sharifa. <laughs> I know. And everything else, basically, everything <laughs> about that book sounds fantastic. Well, I think that I am also talking about one of the titles we might have mentioned in Mm -hmm. uh, our most anticipated, and it is Certain Dark Things by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And first of all, I was just like 100% pulled in by the cover, which is super cool looking. It's like the cool kids of covers, (laughs) I would call it. And so this book is set in Mexico City, which is a place I have been wanting to return to through fiction, especially from Silvia Moreno-Garcia, who writes about Mexico City so amazingly. Um, And so this is a vampire story. First of all, it is not a YA. It is not a romance. I think that that was something that was actually pointed out by Moreno Garcia herself because I think there's been some confusion about that. So Mm. I will point that out first of all. This is a super dark, super violent, gritty, neo-noir novel where a lot of bad things happen to a lot of people. And the story follows a number of characters, but the main storyline revolves around uh, Domingo, who's this really street-smart young man, and Otto, who's a vampire and a descendant of an Aztec subspecies of vampire specifically. And there are two very um, opposing types. Domingo is very almost puppy-like and... And does not know a lot about a lot of things, but knows a lot about living in Mexico City and that sort of street smart uh, sharpness. He has that about himself. But Atul has never been to Mexico City because it is a vampire free zone. Uh, The rival gangs in Mexico City have only come together to push out vampires. Otherwise, they are always against each other. But Atul is in Mexico City because she's fleeing a vampire gang who's on her tail. And so Atul and Domingo end up coming together because she sort of needs Domingo's street smarts and his particular abilities as a human to get around Mexico City and also because she needs blood once in a while. So Otto and Domingo are on the run. And then there's another clan that is after both of them. So the multiple storylines are Domingo, who's a trash collector, and Otto, who's a vampire. And then Nick, 
who's part of the Godoy clan, is after her. He's a Necros or European descendant vampire. And he's accompanied by Rodrigo, who's sort of his caretaker, who's he's this like loyal Godoy vampire retainer. And then there's also the story of Anna, who's a detective and a single mom of a daughter. And Anna went to Mexico City to avoid the vampire gangs and then lo and behold, (laughs) runs into a bunch of them and has to deal with them and investigate. And also she has these concerns about her daughter. And every time she sees some victim of the vampires, she's, of course, thinking about keeping her daughter safe and and what this might mean for the place they now call home. So all of the storylines are really interesting and so different. And I think that Otel, above all of the vampires and the humans, is my favorite character. She's just this really complicated, kind of insecure underneath this cool, calm exterior character. And she has this faithful dog, Kuali, who is another of my favorite characters because (laughs) I love the animal companion. And Kuali does not do a lot. He protects Atal throughout the story, but he's such a he's such a good boy. I just love him so much. (laughs) And I just thought that the world building in this and all of the different types of characters and the sort of exposition and history of the different types of vampires and why they're after each other and against each other and why Otel is fleeing, what happened to her family, which is truly gruesome, was really interesting. And I do love Silvia Moreno-Garcia for her horror storytelling Mm. particularly. And this is definitely, this is not like Mexican Gothic, which is a book I loved, but it has a lot of those elements of just like, wow, you are not afraid to go to that place. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that I should note that there is a lot of body horror. There is some really explicit assault that happens in the story. It's super bloody. Like, it is the kind of vampire novel that really takes you into the horror space. Mm. Um, and I really enjoyed that and found it refreshing. I like all sorts of vampire stories. I am back on my vampire kick, but <laughs> I really, really love the horror elements of vampire stories. So this spoke to me. Uh, Domingo sort of got on my nerves a little bit, but <laughs> he has he has a really kind heart, so I was I I warmed up to his character after a while. But I just love this; it spoke to my goth heart. And there's a lot of this sort of post punk aesthetic, and there were lots of like musical mentions I I was familiar with. So I I just really love everything Sylvia Moreno Garcia does, and this was like a vampire novel that got me back on the vampire train. So again, that was Certain Dark Things by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Awesome. All right, let's see. My sci-fi pick is We Have Always Been Here by Lena Nguyen. And I was talking to Amanda Nelson about this because she and I have both done a Michael Crichton reread with sort of sad results in the past couple of years. They don't hold up that well, y'all. So I was like, Amanda, this is what I wish Michael Crichton read like, because it is a sort of in space slash on a strange planet, claustrophobic, murder, psychological, twisty, science, AI situation. Which is a lot of things. I know I just said a lot of things. Uh, it is so the the main character Grace Park is a psychologist, but she is also very misanthropic. She's extremely introverted. She's touch averse. She's not like the touchy feely friendly couch kind of psychologist. And she this is a world in which like AI is a thing, and although it's not 
sentient per se. Um, and she has a very good rapport with uh, robots and artificial intelligence of all kinds. And she has also been augmented physically so that she's extremely good at reading body and facial cues. So she can like tell, you know, what's up with people just sort of by looking at them as they talk. And so she is the secondary psychologist on this survey ship that's headed to an ice planet in this, you know, previously unexplored galaxy. There are 13 crew members who are all specialists of the, you know, classic kind. There's like, you know, the botanist and the engineer and the pilot and the whatever. And her job is to make sure that like, you know, they're all psychologically in balance as much as possible because space missions are intense and it's small quarters and et cetera, et cetera. There's also like a classic armchair warm and fuzzy psychologist. So she's the lead psychologist. That woman is the lead. And Park is there as like a backup. She's also there in an observer role. This is a galaxy future in which corporations are very much in charge. There is a form of indentured servitude as well. So a lot of the crew members are actually under contract with this big corporation. And Park has been brought in to like make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. So the crew is not super fond of her, unsurprisingly. Mm. Like she's not good at people. And they know she's there to monitor them. So there's some hazing. There's some bullying. Like, she's a very tenuous relationships with all of these uh, other crew members. They get to the planet where, side note, she is not allowed to go to the planet because of, like, secrecy contract reasons. And some of the crew start to experience hallucinations, nightmares. They start to self-harm. There's, like, psychotic breaks happening. And nobody knows. She doesn't know what's going on. She's like, why? Is it something that happened on the planet? Is it something else? Like, what is going on? And the whole book is her trying to figure out what is going on? And it is very intense. Like, this is like an edge of your seat. Like, I am so anxious about everything that's happening sort of read, which as long as I know that that's what I'm in for, I am on board for. Like, I have to know. This is why I'm telling you. This is not like a light <laughs> escapist situation. This is like a, like, like you know, the sphere, but in outer space with robots. Oh, like, boy. what is going, yeah, what is going to happen here? Like, are there aliens? Are there not aliens? Like, what is going on? It is real, real good. The pacing is, like, perfect. And there are these... There's this other narrative that comes into it that I don't want to talk to about too much because of spoilers, but it just works so well. Like the the pieces of this fit together so perfectly. And I could not put it down. I just tore through this book. And if any of that sounds interesting to you, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Like it's it's probably going to be a book I return to recommendations wise certainly and potentially for a reread when I'm like ready for that experience again <laughs> I will give a content warning for use of slurs around mental illness by certain characters because not everybody on the ship reacts in like a thoughtful and compassionate way to the other crew members who are experiencing these uh, mental difficulties. So just know that going in. Um, but yeah, oh man, I just, and I, I just love the way that you get to know Park. It's, it's a very gradual situation. And her story is one that I think is very relatable in a lot of ways and also just interesting from a thought experiment perspective like what would it mean to you to be a person who relates better to robots than to people like what is it like to be inside of that brain and I think Nguyen develops that theme really really smartly and thoughtfully so again that is we have always been here by Lena Nguyen well, my next pick couldn't be any more different, <laughs> but <laughs> there is the common theme of a robot. Yeah. <laughs> so my last pick is A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. And oh my goodness, I loved this book. It is a 
a very hopeful sci-fi story that is very like drinking a warm, complex cup of tea. And this story happens to be very much about tea, Mm. which is wonderful. I just found this book so comforting and so nuanced. And so it it features a non-binary protagonist, which is wonderful, and it's set in a utopia. And this place is a, it's kind of imagine a sustainable and spiritual world post whatever other thing happened to bring humanity to this place. Let's not think about whatever (laughs) tragedy happened before this utopia was uh, created. So in this utopia, half of the world is human inhabited and the rest of the world is complete wilderness. It's sort of uncharted territory where some people go in but rarely come out. And this wilderness is left to other species, including some surprising sentient species. But humanity has this very spiritual connection to the world and to nature. They live as one with nature. And part of this new civilization includes tea monks. And tea monks offer comfort and empathy. They have these sort of pop-up shops and they offer their services through a warm drink and an open ear. And I just love the idea itself of these pop-up traveling tea shops. And in case anybody is looking for an entrepreneurial opportunity, (laughs) I think this would be a great one. (laughs) And so Dex, who's our protagonist, is a tea monk And they're in search of some unnameable thing. They take on this tea monk gig like they take on a lot of things on their own, learning the hard way. That is just who Dex is. And through this process of trying to investigate themselves and find this thing, this unnameable thing they're longing for, Dex goes outside of their comfort zone With their delightful traveling tea shop, which is this sort of wagon and tiny home on wheels that Dex, Dex is on a bicycle, bicycling around with this wagon. And the image of this wagon is on the cover. And I I just thought it was just a wonderful part of the story. And so Dex is taken outside of their comfort zone into the wilderness where they meet splendid speckled moss cap who is a sentient robot in search of understanding to put it very generally and the two characters come together with very different end goals in mind and so the story itself lulls you into this world where it seems like everything is good and kind and warm but as the tea ceremonies illustrate people do have problems still And they do have internal struggles, even in this utopia. And the utopia setup kind of allows the opportunity to explore what it means to want and to aspire and what that drive does to us and how it both physically and emotionally moves us. And I knew what I was getting because this is a Becky Chambers book Mm. and I was here for it. I was here for the comfort and either like a found family element or found friendship. And I I got it. I got that feeling <laughs> and I want more of it. And this is the first book in a planned series. So there will be more of it. I feel like I'm very lucky. And, you know, as somebody who thrives and is also sometimes defeated by the need for this big, deep sense of purpose and the pursuit of a big goal. I really appreciated the message in this story. I strongly related to Dex, to their struggles and their motivations, and especially their restlessness. And the climax and ending of this story were really powerful and very soul-satisfying. And I also just love Splendid Speckled Moss Cap (laughs) from the name to just its perception of the world 
and how robots respond to curiosity. I just thought Splendid Speckled Mosscap was a great foil for Dex particularly. So I think that if you need something that'll bolster you when you're feeling down or feeling defeated, you should definitely pick up this book. It's really short and sweet and very, again, soul-satisfying. So again, that's A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. I would like to co-sign everything you just said. I also read that and really enjoyed it. I 100% would like to be a future tea monk. Yes! <laughs> I think you would be a great tea monk. Thank you. Thank you. I also <laughs> want to point out that like a billion years ago, it was announced that Chambers was writing a Hope Punk series for Tor.com. And this is the first installment in that series. Yes. So it is it is like a beautiful vision of like what sustainability looks like on top of this really sweet friendship story. I I like I can't stop thinking about there's a moment where Dex and Sweet Speckled Mosscap are trying to figure out how to eat dinner together. That is yeah. like so <laughs> it's so good. It's just like the details that Chambers thinks of about how this friendship would work or just ugh, it's like chef kiss perfect. Yes. So, yeah. I too would have felt awkward yes. with that eating situation. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Ah, uh, well, that was lovely. The lovely note to end. Hope punk is a wonderful thing that I mm -hmm. want to bring more of into my life. Yes. Uh, but that was it. Those were our picks, and they have motivated me to read even more, <laughs> as usual. <laughs> and I hope they have for, for everybody out there, too. SFF Yeah is sound edited by Natalie Baker. Many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. You can find more recommendations at bookriot.com, and you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a moment, please do review us on Apple Podcasts because we love to hear from you and it helps people find us. Please do not forget to pick up Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueko so that we can all read it together for our book club episode. And in the meantime, you can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? Once I get back from my social media hiatus, you mm -hmm. will be able to find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at S Zainab Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.